that would just set our hearts right. That as we sit or stand before you, we would be in awe of who you are and what you have done. We'd be able to realize the sacrifice that has been made. We'd be able to comprehend what those servants of yours were thinking so long ago when they went out to give the gospel and even at their own peril and how they were faithful to you even in the face of suffering and death. We would ask, Lord, that we would have that heart, that we would not consider our lives something to be kept but to be sacrificed for you. And as we come to that mindset, Lord, we'd ask that you would not only conform us into doing your will, but you would set before us opportunities, open doors, that we could sacrifice of ourselves for the sake of the others that are around us, that we could deliver the love that you give to us, the good news, the gospel, and also instruction, teaching. So as we go through your word, we pray that you would accomplish these things. In Jesus' name, amen. A young man who belonged to the Royal Rangers, that's a Christian equivalent to the Boy Scouts, and he achieved that organization's rank of Eagle Scout. And he was an outdoorsman who had a passion and a nature for nature and reaching out to the loss for Jesus Christ. And on a small island off the coast of India in November 19, or excuse me, 2019 at age 26, John Chow, who was born in Alabama and raised in Canada, was killed by the Sentinelese people that he was trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you saw this when it was in the news, but he was a young man. And he, like I said, he loved the outdoors and he wanted to go to this particular island of a people that had not been reached for the gospel. And the people on the island were hostile. Uh, there have been planes that have flown over the island and when the planes come back, they are literally littered on the bottom with arrows all under the wings and under the fuselage. Well, he felt the Lord called him to go to that people. Well, he ended up dying. They ended up killing him. And then there was Jim Elliott on January 8th, 1956. A 28-year-old American missionary was martyred along with four of his friends who were killed by the Aka Indians in the country of Ecuador. And this was all depicted in the movie End of the Spear. And then if you've read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll understand that there is a woman there by the name of Blandina. And this was in... 177 AD Blandina I'm going to read this to you she was a female slave who during the persecution of the Christians was brought to the amphitheater at Lyons Lyons is in France what we know in previous times as Gaul and she was brought there to be put to death along with Biblis Ponith excuse me Pothnius Maturus Sanctus Ponticus Adelus and other martyrs, she was hung by her arms to a post, then animals were let into the arena. The crowd awaited in happy anticipation for all the martyrs to be devoured. Amazingly, however, the animals did not touch Blandina, nor did they savage Ponticus. Both were saved for the last day of the spectacle and were subjected to even more horrors. 
That day, wrote Eusebius, Blandina never ceased exhorting her young companions who died with courage. As for her, after having been flogged, mutilated, and burned, she was wrapped in a net and exposed to a bull, which played with her, tossed her into the air. Then finally, they finished her off with a sword. The pagans swore that never had they seen a woman suffer with such courage. And they have a feast on June 2nd to commemorate her death and what she had done. Now, these are three examples of people who were not afraid to give their lives for Christ. Now, they probably had some internal fear like this is going to hurt. This is going to be difficult. And there was a little bit of trepidation probably in their nature. But as the Holy Spirit was working in them, they were able to endure the fate of death that was placed upon them. Now, the Apostle Paul, we know that he was in Pisidian Antioch, which is up in the northern reaches of Turkey. And he was traveling around on his first missionary journey. And after being a witness in Antioch, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter 13, verse 52. But then, at Iconium, where Paul and Barnabas traveled to, we pick this up in Acts chapter 14, verse 1. And when Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogues, they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now, what we're going to see here is Paul's effective work and Barnabas, they're, they're being so effective that the Jews come against them and some of the Gentiles come against them, and we'll eventually see that Paul gets stoned There's a debate whether or not he died in this stoning, but he was willing to be bold for his faith and just keep talking. But it says the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now, what does it mean to poison your mind? That is a phrase. If you look it up, you can get several dictionary definitions of this. To poison one's mind is to inspire or manipulate one to take a negative, hateful, and disdainful view of someone or something, or to make someone believe unpleasant things about another person that are not true. So what these Jews did is they came in, they were inside the synagogue there, and they started talking to the individuals who were in there, both Greeks and Gentiles, God-fearers that would have been in there, and started manipulating their minds that these people are false teachers you should not pay attention to them they're evil they're trying to lead people away from the faith and away from God have no part with them whatsoever do not even eat with them they are scum we need to kick them out and that's the type of thing that was going on in the conversations now what may have been a healthy mind ends up being injured by others through their influence we have people of influence that are around us People that we look to that provide for us wisdom, at least we should, whether it's a person that an individual you meet with in person or it's somebody that you listen to in their teaching, you're able to do that on the internet, interactions you have with just random persons maybe on the street that provide for you a little bit of wisdom. We are all influenced by the world which is around us. For instance, uh, there are people that are more easily influenced than others. Now, if you had to guess, which of the sexes is more influenced by others? Men or women? If you had to guess, 
You know, 70% of the purchases that are made out there, guess who they're made by? Women. Guess who the marketers target? Women. Because they can be more easily influenced. And I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean, this, this is good because the women have a heart of compassion. They want to understand. This is how God built them. And the enemy uses that against women. Take something that is holy, something that is upright, something that is good, and the enemy tries to influence that. And by the way, most of the debt in this world, especially the United States, is held by women. That's because they're influenced to buy things maybe they shouldn't have. And that's where the husband comes in. He's the one with columns and rows and says yes or no. And we're supposed to compliment each other. But if the wife is right, she can influence her husband. And he goes, okay, I see the wisdom in that. Go ahead. We can get that. And so we balance each other out. Now, it could be the husband's failing that he just says no to everything under the sun. And the wife says, you never let me. And of course, she's using the word never and you always. And he's going, no, I'm not. And he becomes a little harsh. And we fall into that sinful track. And we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be a compliment to one another. But there's a way that we can influence people. And hopefully you have somebody around you that you're influencing that you're either giving the gospel to, providing direction for somebody who is young, somebody who needs a good upbringing, maybe they're lacking an authority, uh, a figure of authority in their lives, and they need some direction. Now, at one particular type, time in my business, I would hire people, uh, bring them in, and some people, they, they just proved they couldn't do it. Uh, one guy, I, I would explain to him how to... Uh, weed a a bed weed a garden bed and when I came back the only thing he had done was raked it he didn't pull out any weeds and I tried to instruct him and he started getting frustrated and I said you know we want to pull these weeds and he turned to me threw up his hand says I can't do everything and I said well that's one of our jobs is to do that not everything just pull the weeds and rake and he didn't want to be influenced and he said that's it I quit and oh okay you quit Another individual that I had, he was going through an AA program. He was trying to come down off all the drugs he had taken, and they gave him Valium to bring him down, to normalize him. He was kind of off the rails a lot, and his behavior was sometimes erratic, but I wanted to give the guy a chance. He seemed like he had a good heart. And as I would speak to him, I gave him the gospel, and he accepted Christ. And I thought, okay, good. This is good. That's why the Lord brought him here. He accepted Christ, and I want to give him a chance. I want to help him to work. But then I had another employee at the same time who was a Buddhist. And that Buddhist influenced this guy. His name is Richard. And he ended up turning from the faith. And I thought, that guy's getting fired. No, I didn't say that. But it's, it's this idea that we are influenced by somebody who is around us. Every time I'd get a new employee, I made sure that they had the gospel. They understood who Jesus Christ was, had a captive audience, they're riding with me in a vehicle, and where else are they going to go? And I'm paying the bills, you know, so they had to listen to me. What a, what a great environment to have. And, and so most of them listened, and they were agreeable, and they understood what was being said. Some of them accepted the gospel, and some of them did not accept the gospel. Or what about 
politicians who get elected and many times their minds get poisoned by others in politics so that they do things and pass laws that injure the very people that elected them. That's never happened, you know, but we understand that politicians are easily influenced by the hierarchy which is in these capitals, whether in the state or the capital in Washington, D.C. There's even a scriptural example of this, if you can remember Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Now, Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And when Solomon died, he was brought forth to be appointed as king. And the people had a question. Maybe you're familiar with the story. The question was, how are you going to rule? Your father put burdensome taxes on us, and it was very difficult to live under him. What are you going to do? And Rehoboam said, give me three days and come back in three days. So what he did is he went to the elders who ruled with Solomon, asked them, what should I do? And the elders said, well, you know, give the people a little break. Lower their taxes, tell them you're for them, you're not against them. I'm paraphrasing what they said. But he goes, okay. And then he went to his peers, the younger group of men, and asked them, what should we do? Or what should I do? And they said, oh, you think that your father was rough. Tell him that your finger is thicker than your father's waist. And if he really made a life difficult for you, I'm going to make it 10 times worse. And that's the counsel he followed. And because he followed that counsel, Jeroboam, who was down in Egypt, he came up and took away 10 tribes to the northern kingdom of Israel and only two tribes were left in the southern kingdom. It split the kingdom because he listened to this influence. Now, this was God's doing for judgment, but this nonetheless was an influence that came into Rehoboam's life and it actually split the kingdom. So what can our minds be poisoned by in this day and age? Is there anything that could really wreck our minds and set it in a wrong direction. Well, there are things like that, the philosophies of this world. I mean, you look at society and what they're pushing and is what they're pushing new truths, old truths, good truths, or bad truths. Now, God says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. So right off the bat, I'd say, everything that comes from the world is probably going to be a bad truth. It's something that we're not going to want to hold on to. So let's just look at our culture. What's going on in the United States that might influence us in the wrong direction, might be harmful to us and poison what we think? The Bible gives us a clear direction on what is right, what is just, what is fair, what is equitable, what is holy, and what is moral. All those things are spelled out in the Bible. If the world comes along and says, no, we don't have to hold to that moral. We don't have to hold to this idea that men and women are not just equal, but we need to reverse it a little bit to make the women more equal than men or a race more equal than other races. Well, let's start with a few. Are you guys familiar with the alphabet designations that they have out there, like what is ESG? Have you heard about that? ESG is what the corporations are adopting, and they want to make sure the big corporations like Google and Alphabet and 
Apple, all of these companies are developing systems around this idea of ESG, which stands for environmental, social, and governance. These three things. The first one, environmental. These corporations are trying to develop policies that are friendly to the environment no matter how they affect the individual. Like, for instance, one of the policies which is out there is going all green. We don't want to have any type of impact on the environment. Although the science may say different, these corporations are saying, no, this is the thing to do because they're being influenced by people groups and, and others like in the government that want to lead the country in a particular direction. So there may be policies uh, initiated that are harmful to individuals but helpful, quote-unquote, for the environment. Then there's this social aspect of ESG where we pay attention to the different races and the different sexual orientations and the different proclivities and likes and dislikes of people who are out there because we are all equal and all views are valid across the spectrum. There are none who, that are really good and none that are really bad. They're just all equal no matter what they may be. And then there's this governance also in the corporate sector where these, these boards are set up like I said, to affect the people on a broad spectrum of issues. And it may even cost some investors in their companies to lose money because they're investing in things that they shouldn't, things that are going to cause harm to society. There is also the DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, we are strengthened by our diversity or we are strong with our diversity I don't know wherever that came up came from but that is not a biblical norm doesn't Christ say that once we reach unity in the faith that we are all on the same level when it comes to believing in God same thing with corporations or families we all have to be on the same playing field on the same line uh, if you have people that get together, let's just say in the political realm, a Democrat marries a Republican. Is there going to be sparks there? Is there going to be conflict? There is because you're not like-minded. Or if a Catholic marries a Buddhist, is there going to be some kind of conflict there? Probably if a Christian marries a Jew, is there going to be some kind of conflict there? There is. And so we want to be like-minded. It's by our unity that we are made strong. It's not by our diversity. And that's one big lie that is out there. If all Americans thought the same thing, how much calmness would there be across the country? There would be a lot. We're all like-minded. And if we have this diversity where we're just going off the rails on one hand, which causes the other end to go off the rails on the other hand, and all of a sudden you have leftists and rightists and extremism, we're not unified. The diversity does not help us. We want to be unified. Then there's equity. Equity is not equality. Equity is where everybody has the same thing, the same wealth, the same opportunities, and the same outcome. That's what equity stands for. If you have been, quote-unquote, privileged in some way, well, you need to be held back so that somebody else can go forward. I think there's a lawsuit, I don't know if it's been adjudicated or not, by one of the Ivy League schools that was brought against them because they were discriminating against Asian students who would score super high on their SAT scores. And they'd let somebody else in that was not as qualified and get into the university. 
And it was not merit-based. It was based on, well, how many races qualify and how many should we put in? And it doesn't matter if it's designated by the number of that particular race in the society. If it's 10% or if it's 3%, it doesn't matter. We just have to make it look like a rainbow color, so to speak, with all the races. That means somebody has to be opposed. And then somebody has to implement that opposition to raise people who they think are less fortunate. Then there's inclusion, respecting the values of all groups. Which groups are better? Is there any group that is better morally? Is there any group that is better intellectually? Is there any group that is better physically? And and so what they do is they say, look, we're just going to make this equal all the way across. Now, this is a falsehood as well. Now, I, I just saw, I, I saw a couple little teachings and videos and instructions. And one of them was a woman. And the woman said that men can exist without women, but women cannot exist without men. And this is a woman saying this. And she said, men built the world we live in. And I I was listening to that. And then I saw this video. It looked like it was in China. You know, these high power tension lines that are on these tall, towering structures. And they have several lines. We have some by our house. There's the east-west power link, I think. And it it comes through here. And there's several of these big, big caves. I mean, the big ones. Not the small ones, but the big ones, like in East County. And in China, there were these guys who were walking on them. And they would hold each other's hands and they'd have these big safety hoops that would go underneath these insulation, big glass um, parts that would go from the tower to the wire. And they would walk up them and you are literally hundreds of feet above canyons and they're just walking up, no problem. I've never seen a woman do that job. And, And then you'll see them fall on the cable hold on to the cable and kind of throw their leg around and whip themselves back up in the cable hundreds of feet down and then they're eating their lunch on the towers and on the cables like it's no big deal. They're using chopsticks. That's why I thought it was probably in China. They're doing that stuff. How many bricklayers do you know that are women? I don't know of one and I'm kind of associated with that industry. How many electricians do you know that are women? I I don't know of any. I'm sure there are some somewhere. But the majority are men doing that. Now, what if we came one day and said, you know, in those high power lines, we're going to make an equal number of women get up there with an equal number of men. What about in the military, those who who do hand-to-hand combat? What if you said an equal number of women need to do hand-to-hand combat just like the men? What do you think is going to happen to that military? It's not going to last very long. And so we recognize the differences and don't try to put a square peg in a round hole and make everything equitable or not equality, but just equity across the line, inclusion where we include everybody doing that. Some people have a propensity to do better at certain things. And I told my daughter this once after she came back from university. And I said, let's just admit a a few things. And she said, what? And we were having this discussion about race. And I said, guess which race is probably best at math and physics? And she she looked at me and she put her head to the side. And I said, Asians, right? I mean, they have a proclivity to be really good at that. They study really hard. And she goes, Dad. I said, okay, 
what about athletics? What about football and basketball? What race tends to do better in those sports? I said, black people do. They, I mean, they're great at those sports. Some, some way they're more physically adept at doing that than a bunch of white guys that are out there. And there's some white guys they can do okay, but you've got to recognize that, that there are certain groups of people that do things much better. And we don't want to say, well, you know, now 50% of the women on the basketball team need to be white along with the black guys in the team. And you say, what, what, what are you talking about? And we don't want to, even me talking like this will make people uncomfortable. But it's one of the truths in the world that says, no, we have to make it like this because it's, it's the right thing to do. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's not the right thing to do. I believe our society needs to be merit-based. God sets that up, merit-based. We're going to be rewarded based on what we do. When we get to heaven, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says that we are going to be judged by our works. And our works are, metaphorically speaking, wood, hand, stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. Two groups, three in each. And they're going to be tested by fire. Now, again, this is metaphorical. And the wood, hand, stubble is going to be burned up. And the gold, silver, and precious stones, that's going to remain. Now, a lot of people are going to have a lot of wood, hand, stubble. And, and others are going to have gold, silver, and precious stones. God is going to reward us based on merit. God has set that up. And so if we do good, Scripture says, God will reward us for the good that we do. If somebody does bad, they should not be rewarded like they're giving money to keep BLM rioters from rioting again. A government is doing that. I think it's in Oregon. It's like, you've got to be kidding me that we're doing that. Now that's the world's philosophy. Now when we look at individuals in the world, how we treat them and interact with them, we should be colorblind. Everybody is created in the image of God and they are worthy of being treated with respect because of that image. But to say that people don't have certain proclivities or talents, that they aren't better at something, is a lie. And to take those who are better at those areas and pull them down and say, somebody else has to replace you, that is a lie. And that comes from the pit. Well, here's another one. What about transgenderism? Am I hitting enough hot topics yet? Just give me a chance. Transgenderism, you know, right now, they're promoting the mutilation of children. And and, in my doing some research, I have seen young teen girls where they, they pull off their shirts and they've had surgeries and there's big scars going across here. They look like they're 14 years old. And it's just horrible that they are doing that to these children. I believe that people that are espousing that not only should be thrown in jail, but there should be a discussion whether or not they should have the death penalty because they ruin them for life. You know, they are removing, I don't want to be too graphic, but they're removing parts of their body that should not be removed and they're giving them hormone therapy. I, I put a question out on Twitter. You know, these mass shootings that are there. I said, how many of these mass shootings are a result of being on antipsychotic medications? I'd like to know that. And because somebody else brought that up, a couple of people did, and there are no responses to that. 
you know, no one chimed in. But I would really like to know that. Are we doing this and causing harm to the kids in our society? You know, there, there's mental disorders that are on the rise, and it's all because of what we're doing and what we're allowing in our societies. There's no prudence. There, there is no idea of self-control. Whatever works for you is just fine. Or, or what about these people that are called minor attracted persons? Do you know who they are? They've changed the language. It's pedophilia. Those people who are attracted to young teens or people that are younger than that in a physical way. And same thing with those. They're, they're trying to make it like that's not sinful behavior. That's just another way of relating in society. And that's this, that is something, if we pay attention to that, it will poison our minds if we buy into that. We have to be able to say, no, this is wrong. Not that you go on a rampage and you take out a machete and you just start, metaphorically speaking, that you take that and you're, you're just cutting down the society, so to speak. But you are standing up in opposition saying, no, this is wrong. And this idea of tolerance, the opposition to Christian morals and values and to Christ, they want you to be tolerant if you hold to those. But yet they are the most intolerant of those who hold to those values. They will not let you do it. They want to silence you. They want to kill you. As we will see here in this passage, Paul was taken out and stoned because he wouldn't be quiet. The same thing is happening today in big tech on the social platforms. You will be removed if you say anything that goes against the narrative out there, if you say anything against DEI, ESG, or transgenderism, or minor attracted persons, you will be removed from that social platform. You will not be able to come back. They are sequestering. They are, they are trying to do away with Judeo-Christian values. And those who reject those values on a, a lesser plane, well, are we allowed to say Merry Christmas at Christmas time? Mostly no, because somebody might be offended. Well, what about the person who says Merry Christmas that is offended by you saying you can't say Merry Christmas? That doesn't matter. You put that down. Well, what about the Resurrection Day? What do we call that? Easter with bunnies and eggs and chocolate and peeps. That's what... Easter, or excuse me, the Resurrection Day is all about. We, we change the language is what we do. And I, I noticed this last Christmas when I said Merry Christmas. And every year I, I do this test when I go to stores or something. I'll say Merry Christmas to you. Occasionally you'll get somebody turn back to you and say, And Merry Christmas to you. Other times they'll say, Happy Holidays. Because they don't want to offend. Well, I already said Merry Christmas. You're not going to offend me. Now I'm offended by Happy Holidays. I should turn back and say, I'm offended by Happy Holidays. Why can't you say? No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go with your hair on fire against somebody. Because that's what they've been taught by society. This is the thing you have to do. The bags that you used to get at the store used to say Merry Christmas on them. Now they say Happy Holidays. You know, something nice like that. Or Happy New Year. But they will not mention the name of Christ. Well, let me give you another little alphabet acronym there, W-E-F. Are you familiar with them? 
the World Economic Forum. I've talked about them before. Well, what are they after? Remember, you're not going to own anything and you're going to like it? Is that good? You know, one of the things that we have, according to the Founding Fathers, is the right to own property. But if all your rights in that property are taken away, even though you own it, that's fascism. And that's where we're headed. You know, you can't install an electrical plug without the approval of a government. Don't tell me any of you have broken the law by installing an electrical plug in your house. You know, things like that. You, you can't install new windows without a permit. You can't put a roof on your house without a permit. You can't put in a water heater without a permit. You can't hardly do anything without the government saying, it's okay, we'll give you permission. As long as you pay us a little money, we'll be okay with that. And, and that's the control that the government has over us. And that is not good. Christ died to set us free, not to enslave us. And so we're becoming slaves to the government. They believe that we are the serfs. Now, which person is it? Well, I don't think it's just one person. It's several people who are out there. Well, let me give you a couple more. How about abortion and women's rights? It's being screamed. It's the right of the woman. But whenever it comes up, what about the right of of the child, the baby in the womb. And usually it gets met with such stern opposition, bullhorns blaring right a couple of feet from the face of the individual. I've seen so many attacks on individuals who just want to go out and be a witness for Christ at the abortion clinics being attacked, being assaulted out there. And oftentimes the police now are not doing anything. They're just pulling back. Because that's what they've been told. That's what they've been instructed by those who are higher up. What about the radical gay agenda? Beginning in elementary schools and even younger, they're grooming kids to be sexual deviants. And they say, love is love. Do you believe that? Love is love? It's not. It is a lie that is out there. Now, all of these things that I've just gone through, well, what about reparations and immigrations and uh, authoritarianism and all of these things like IT, the tech and the information age, all of that. Do you think that's affecting us in a negative way? They have determined that for the first time in history in the United States, the IQ of the younger generation is falling. It is not increasing. And the reason why that is believed to be true is that they look at their screens on their phones or their tablets or their computer for four to six hours a day. There's, it differs depending on who you read on that. But they say what happens is you are captivated for maybe at the most 30 seconds, sometimes 15 seconds, and your mind is being trained to shift from one thing to the other. Uh, I think I've mentioned this previously, but you know the old movies that were out there, whatever the movie was, especially the black and white ones, uh, whether it was The Magnificent Seven or A Day at Tiffany's or uh, whatever it was, there were long scenes that would carry on for a minute or two and the camera wouldn't change. Try doing this next time you watch a movie or a program. Count the seconds between the camera changing 
to the next scene or a different view. It changes about every two or three seconds is what it does. And it's like that with almost the entire show that you're watching. And that's so your mind stays stimulated on those small little increments and you cannot start holding a long thought and especially when it comes to philosophical or moral issues, thinking through those thoughts. The individual does not any longer have the ability to hold the beginning of the thought with the end of the thought. They're being trained by the screen time that is out there. And some of the parents who allow the screen time to be the babysitter, you're just setting that child up for a fall. Now, have I been controversial enough yet? Do you want some more? I'm not going to give you any more. I mean, you could just go on and on in our society and what's going to take place and how difficult it's going to be all because the philosophy, the worldview that is out there is being incorporated into every aspect of life. It is everywhere. And yet you have the Bible that says, don't go in that direction. These are the values to hold to. This is what is right. This is what is wrong. And this is what Paul was doing. Paul and Barnabas were explaining the gospel that the world is full of sin, but we can be saved from that sin. And he would debate and argue, maybe in a contentious way sometimes, but for the most part, he would try to convince the individuals of the truthfulness of the scriptures and what Jesus did. So how do we keep from having our minds poisoned? Go live in Alaska in a little tent, no, that's, that's not going to do it. We can't, we're living in the world. But Colossians 3.2 talks about setting our minds. This is the first point I'm going to make on this. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now maybe you've heard the phrase, You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that? I don't think it's possible. If you are heavenly minded, you're going to do a lot of earthly good especially if your mind is set on God's word and what he declares in there and you try to follow that, you try to live by that, you are going to benefit not only yourself but everybody else around you. You know, being in the word, being in a a devotion, having a devotion, studying, fellowship, listening to sermons and apologetics, I believe that we should not only be in the Bible, but we should have a good book that we're going through. Uh, Whether it's audio, I do a lot of my books by audio. It just captivates me. Uh, and it, it kind of sharpens the sword that the Lord has given me. You know, I, I, I'll often go back to different subjects. I just went back to uh, a creation evolution debate or theistic evolution. How did God do it? Did God just do it in six days? Did he not do it in six days? Is it a long time on the earth? And, and uh, listening to uh, John Lennox on that he just provided more insight in in some of the idioms that are in scripture and how to understand genesis and other places in scripture it was fascinating and i've told you before i've gotten to the point i'm not going to argue about those things i believe it's six days but i look at the universe and i think well definitely could be older i don't know what's going on with that but but all i know is god did it God created everything. And we can get on these subjects and be a pejorative individual. We're just fighting back and forth. And we don't have to do that. But we are to set our minds and be ready on those things which are essential. Those things which are good and those things which are are bad or wrong or evil. And our mind is to be set on those things. It's like if you have a moral meter. If you have like a little radio and it has all these dials on it. You set your moral meter to Bible. 
You put it on that. And you do not set that moral meter to the culture, wherever the culture is. That's what you want to do. So you set your mind. Then another place in First Peter chapter 1, 13, it says, prepare your mind. So not only is it set, but you're preparing it. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, this idea of prepare your minds or gird up your loins, you know, the Roman soldiers, sometimes they'd have a garment hanging down and they would take this flexible band and they'd pull everything up and they'd tighten it down. You know, we have a belt for pants that we wear. We tighten it down. We're ready to do so. You go to the gym. They have that big belt, their kidney belt that they put around their, their body and they're ready. They're, they're set. They have prepared for what lies ahead. They're prepared for action. By forethought and determination, you determine to be an apologist for the doctrines and morals of God. You understand what's right and wrong. Like, for instance, do you have the Ten Commandments memorized? Are they, you've heard me talk about that previously. Do you have them in order where it just sets your mind? You're prepared. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Like if a man is tempted to commit adultery. Thou shall not. Oh, that's, isn't that one of the Ten Commandments? Oh, you want something of your neighbor's. First, don't covet. And then don't steal what your neighbor has. Don't do that. Your mind is set and you prepared. So when the temptation comes along, you go, no, not doing that. My mind is set. Set to the Bible, not to the culture. Is there a rash of thieves going out there and taking things from stores? Did you hear the Whole Foods, that is their flagship store in San Francisco, is shutting down because they had over 200 carts out front and they're all gone because the homeless would take them and the law enforcement is not requiring them to be accountable for that theft and also in the stores they're just going to the stores and they take out by the bag full stuff that's in there and the culture says well you can steal anything it's only a misdemeanor up to about $900 and you're not going to be prosecuted and since you have no idea it's not going to be a big deal what do you think that's going to breed? more theft but the world says no they're underprivileged we need to make sure that they have no we need to do what is right and enforce those things but our minds could be poisoned. Oh, we need to have a little compassion on them because I have so much privilege. Now, who hasn't worked for what they have if they have something? Everybody has. And just because you have something, does that mean you're privileged? Well, blessed by God, I would say. But this idea that you've been given privilege by somebody else, most everybody has to work for what they have. Now also, preparing your mind, you have to be able and prepared to talk to atheists and Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and agnostics and civil leaders. You have to be able to converse with them. And you say, well, you know, I'm not very smart. Well, you can ask them questions. You can say, do you think this is really good for society? How do you base your morality? How do you determine what right and wrong is? Do you think this is right? Or do you think this is wrong? And also... We're to be self-controlled. Now, there's a list in Scripture. Galatians 5, 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. God tells us, don't do these things. Now, I'm sure each one of us is guilty in some way on this list. And when we recognize it, we say, God, I'm guilty 
please forgive me for my actions and my inactions and our fellowship is restored because we believe in Christ but he says people who hold to these things that do them on a regular basis and think it's okay they're the ones that are not inheriting the kingdom of God Galatians says sexual immorality impurity debauchery idolatry uh, drug taking drugs recreationally it does say witchcraft there but that word witchcraft is pharmakia which refers to drugs and that's taking drugs recreationally And it says, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And that's not an exhaustive list. There's more to it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, sexual immorality, nor idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. If we're doing any one of those things, God says, and you think it's okay? God's saying, no, you may think you're saved, but you're not if you hold that this is okay and you are practicing it and you're excelling in it. Also, Colossians 3.8, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now, I, I listened to a few different podcasts and things. And some of these guys that they claim to be believers in Christ, they will proudly proclaim their relationship with them. And then I hear them just with these expletives over and over and over. And I I can't listen to them when they do that. And I think, well, and they will say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm not perfected yet, but they continue in this. And not to condemn them because we all have our own issues. Can we agree on that? Can you guys say amen? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a hearty amen. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, we do. We, we all have our own issues, but we don't want to give excuses for those issues. We simply want to say, yeah, this is wrong. You, one of the things and God has given me victory in is cussing. Now, I, I grew up in a family, except for my mom and the dog. We're all males. And there were five of us in the house that were males. And my dad was... A marine and uh, you know his whole platoon went to Korea and uh, he wore a Banlon shirt with his Terry 10 100s and his sleeve all rolled up and he had Ray-Ban glasses and he used Brill cream and he was rough and tough and hard to bluff and you didn't give him any flack whatsoever and so I grew up with that and the people that worked at our house when my dad was putting in a pool and block and brick was going in they were hell's angels and so they, they showed up and they were doing some block work we knew they were hell's angels but you know they were working and that's the kind of group I hang out with my dad did newspapers the San Diego Union Tribune had the biggest route down there and all the guys at the newspaper what do you think that they were like they were all rough and tough and hard to bluff ex-military and that's who they were and that was the environment I was raised in. So it was just kind of natural. You spoke like everybody else spoke. First guy I worked for, he started cussing at the things he was trying to fix. And I learned that too. That's satisfying. You know, you just go ahead and do that. But yet scripture says, the filthy language, put it far from your lips. And when I became a Christian, I saw that. I go, ooh, I'm in trouble, you know, and I, I need to curtail that. So I, I went out and I started to practice. Whenever I found myself in a situation a little frustrated or wanted to give an exclamation and I wanted to use a cuss word, I did what scripture says, take every thought captive. And I would grab that thing 
and I would squeeze it and pulverize it and stomp on it and you're not going to have the victory. That's what I would do in my mind. On the outside, I was... But on the inside, I was just raging on that bad word. And the Lord in his grace, he goes, okay, that's good. Now, I have a lot of other things I have to deal with, but that one is like, wow, Lord, thank you. I'm able to do that. So as believers, you know, if, if you can't say it in church, I wouldn't say it outside of church. It's not wholesome. It's not good. Then there's this idea. Third point, how can we keep our minds from being poisoned? Fight the enemy with your mind. This is what I just described. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And so this... uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The people that you hang out with, are your friends Christians or not Christians? If you go do something, do you do things with Christians or unbelievers? Now, it's the evil behavior either by ourselves or by others that are around us that can poison our minds. And we want to make sure we're, we're not adding to that poison. Now, some pranks are lighthearted and, you know, it's, it's just fun and you get a laugh and it's really not at anybody's expenses. Now, you guys know who Buzz is, right? He, he's not here, right? Good, I can talk about him. You know, when we went to the men's retreat one year, he thought he would prank me, you know. And we've done some stuff back and forth like that and it's all lighthearted. Like, when we got to the uh, men's retreat, I had a room uh, that was given to me there. And so he tried to find out which room I was in. So he put Vaseline all over the doorknob is what he did. And then he wanted to get inside and put Vaseline in several other areas, like in the bathroom. You know, oh, you know, turn on the water, something like that. Well, he tried to get me at the end as well. And he put Vaseline underneath the handle on my truck door. You know, he, he's way... He's, in his truck over on the side going, you know how he does that? And he's just waiting for me to grab the handle on the door. And I didn't do it. The guy who was with me that I was giving a ride, I said, why don't you go around and open up my side? He did. He goes, oh, oh, what is this? And and he's laughing and they're going, oh, oh," I didn't quite get him. You know, there's pranking like that. It's it's kind of fun. If I would have known that he was there, I would have grabbed the Vaseline, run over to his car and wiped it all over his car or something like that. And, And that's all good and fun. But then there's the pranking that's not so fun, not so good. Things like vandalism or having a frat boy mentality, pranksters. To give you one in the industry that I'm involved in, uh, you know, you see videos on training and, and stuff like that. And in the masonry aspect, aspect, what they'll do is they'll take a, an apprentice for a journeyman mason and they'll say, okay, one of the things you have to do is you have to pick up a 90-pound sack of concrete and be able to lift it over your head and hold it there for at least 10 seconds. And so the young guys say, okay, I can do that. Now, the 90-pound sacks, these are big sacks. I just picked up a couple of them yesterday. They're big. And they're heavy, 90 pounds. So you get these guys, and they hoist it up there, and they're holding it there, and they're holding it. Then somebody comes from behind with a razor blade knife and slices it open. It all falls on the head of the individual. Now, that's not a good prank. That stuff can be caustic. It can actually burn skin. 
You didn't know that. It's stuff like that. If you're hanging around a bunch of guys that do stuff like that, or a bunch of women, do you guys do that? Get the Well, you understand. It's this idea that you don't prank where it's going to be a harm for somebody or these TikTok challenges which are, which are out there. Now, I don't have TikTok, but I see some of the challenges. Eating Tide Pods. You see that one? Where the Tide Pods, they're the thing you throw in the washing machine, they're saying, eat them. And some kids were going to the emergency room because they'd eat these Tide Pods, a stupid TikTok challenge. Or how about, have you seen the milk crate challenge? Where they take these milk crates and they start with one, two, three, four, five, like they did up to six, and then another six back down. And you have to walk up that. Those things are so unstable. And they fall down on them and they get injured and they end up in the emergency room. That's a challenge, a prank that is out there. Or what about these couples? Couples that do these pranks back and forth and they put them on YouTube. What they do, this one, uh, this one wife, she was getting back at her husband for a prank that he did to her and so she decided to put the frying pan on and put his keys in the frying pan and she hid the keys from him and so when he comes in, where are my keys? And she took them out of the frying pan and they were sitting on the counter. So he comes in, he grabs them off the counter, burns his hand. And she's laughing like that. And then this other one where the husband is sleeping who had been, he pranked his wife. She set up mouse traps all around the bed. And then she comes in in the morning when she, he's sleeping and gets him with the one water pistol things where he's just getting wet inside the bed. He crawls out, falls on the floor. All these mouse traps snap and hit him all over the bed. It's like... What are you thinking? Is this a marriage counselor, what he told you to do to enrich your marriage? I mean, it's stuff like that. You're going, and you think that's funny. You know, people are getting hurt and people click on it and they laugh. Ha, 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 what can we do? And their minds are being poisoned that this stuff is okay. It's where evil behavior leads to alienation from God. And you think this in your mind that this is going to be okay. And God says, no, we want to avoid this. How can we avoid this? Well, we have to have the peace of mind from God as well. In Philippians 4, 7, it says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You have to be a believer. Otherwise, you're going to fall into the way the world thinks. And we have to renew our minds with the word, wash it, so to speak, with the word, and remind ourselves, no, this is bad behavior. I shouldn't be involved in this type of behavior. And Romans 5 one says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're justified by faith well then that peace comes to us and that peace of God guards our hearts and minds and then we take captive the thoughts of the mind in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and this word demolish it's not just hit it with a hammer it's pulverize it it's make it into dust let it have no features left whatsoever and so we want to cultivate the good and the holy thoughts just like it says in philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 whatsoever is true whatsoever is noble whatsoever is right whatsoever is pure whatsoever is lovely if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things that's what we're supposed to think about now i'll find myself is you know you guys have a video game on your phone that you play it's okay. I'm, I'm not going to condemn you for sin. If you, I have one, Candy Crush. 
you know, I, I this is kind of fun. You know, and you waste a few minutes doing that. It's okay. But your mind just kind of settles into hum. It's not doing anything. And I realize the more I play that, I'm not thinking about what is, whatsoever is true, lovely, holy, righteous, pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. I'm, I'm not thinking about those things. And I have to train my mind to do that. Now, if we do these things, Paul tells us in this particular passage that the minds of the Jews and the Gentiles were poisoned by individuals. My encouragement to you this morning is if you're hanging out with bad people, just don't. If you're watching things of the world that would infuse their philosophy in your mind, just don't. You know, some of the stuff I go to read and I watch, I do so for the sake of you and for the sake of the youth over there just to keep up on what's happening and so much of it and Patty and I were talking about this you can only watch so much before it just kind of drags you down no wonder the world is depressed because they don't think that they have what everybody else has and it's just not working for them so I would say limit screen time Limit your interaction with those who are around you that are not uplifting and holy. Spend time in Bible study. Spend time in fellowship. And if you do this, the peace of God, which transcends everything in this life, will fill your hearts and you'll be able to walk with joy even though the world around you may be falling apart. Even though the trials that come your way could be excruciating. Even though, like Paul, as he continued to speak, he became bolder and more bold. And when he did so... They took him out and stoned him. He still had joy. And we'll get to it next week. What'd they do? The disciples gathered around him. And he goes, oh, got up. Took off the rocks. And he left the next day. That's what he did. And we'll talk about, well, did he die? Did he not die? Did he just have a bad headache? What did his face look like after all those stones? You know, it could be a bad thing. So may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you, and may he give you peace. May you be able to say no to the things and the philosophies of the world. May you keep them from poisoning your mind, and may God use you as you cultivate the truth of his word to speak to others. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. There is so much that is poignant for us. Of course, your word is eternal, and it's for all time. And we would ask most of all, Lord, that you would put your word in us that we might be faithful witnesses. And where we fail, we know that your grace is greater. We know that you can come and soothe the soul that is wretched with the idea of guilt and sin. So, Father, I pray that you would do that, that you would heal us, that you would set us right, that you would help us to know the love you have for us but help us to be bold witnesses like Paul. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.